You're going to love this. Just love it. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Not scared, just and I'm wondering how I'll looking get forward to a holiday. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yep, all in all, and I'm I'd much rather be stuck in the middle of you, in the middle with you, than in the middle of... The crowds at Tahrir Square today, between them and the Egyptian military, good lord. Hey, welcome America, this is your Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, democracy and transparency lover, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com live. This afternoon in Los Angeles on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher radio app, on the TuneIn radio app. On the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn and on Netroots Radio. Yeah, you can run, but you can't hide. Not from us, not from the broadcast. Glad you could join us. As I say, we are live. I know it is the eve of uh, July 4th, but our work never stops here. So we're glad you could join us. Uh, we are going to be covering a lot here this afternoon, but with uh, some breaking news here uh, tonight, Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi has been removed from power in what is uh, pretty clearly a military coup, at least according to Egyptian President Mom and Morsi, uh, though the military promises elections to replace him in short order. AP is reporting that the president has been replaced by the chief justice of the Constitutional Court. Oh, and that constitution has been suspended. They say that the acting president will only serve a short interim rule period. So what we have here is a people's revolution sponsored or at least supported, I should say, by the military to overthrow the people's revolution from just about one year ago. Yeah. Who said democracy was easy? Uh, Also breaking within the hour from AP, U.S. officials say non-essential diplomats, embassy families, have been asked to leave Egypt amidst the protests and the unrest. We will, of course, have much more on that developing story tonight on the Pacifica Evening News. Of course, we have our own uprisings in this country to uh, to talk about and to worry about. They've been happening, as you probably know, all over the country in places like Texas and North Carolina, where uh, citizens are standing up and fighting against these uh, these abortion bans, these abortion restrictions that are being put in place. Ironically enough, the uh, surprise abortion restriction that they're attempting to push through the North Carolina legislature was attached to a bill. <laughs> this is amazing. Attached to a bill to ban uh, Sharia law. 
No, I'm not kidding. I'm not sure there was a move towards Sharia law in North Carolina, but the uh, Republicans down there want to make sure that there won't be any Sharia law. And, oh, by the, uh, by the way, they also want to add this restriction on what women can do with their bodies. They want to shut down abortion clinics. They want to continue to act like they are in favor of small government when, in fact, they are in favor of the largest government. But... Uh, what we're interested in today is secrecy, and lots of it, uh, big time. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to be talking in a little bit also about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, even our trade agreements now are in secret. Our society, ha- we have become a secret society in, uh, in this great land of supposed democracy and transparent oversight and everything else going to be speaking with Mark Rumold of the Electronic Frontier Foundation about all of this very momentarily here. But I wanted to uh, touch base because in light of this, you know, since the leaks of uh, former NSA contractor Edward Snowden, there has been sturm and drong about who is this Snowden and uh, what are his politics and uh, where is he running off to now and how will he be caught and will the USA ever catch him? And oh, by the way, that Glenn Greenwald, he's a scoundrel. Uh, and there's been a lot of focus on uh, on those folks. And what we have done in the in the meantime is sort of lost focus on the actual disclosures that have been, in my opinion, rather huge and potentially uh, revealing a whole bunch of illegalities. There was a uh, an op-ed a couple of days ago over the weekend in the New York Times by Jennifer Stysagranik and Christopher John Sprigman entitled The Criminal NSA. Now, one of the points that people have been making is uh, that, oh, you know what, all of this is spying, all of this surveillance, the secret surveillance that we've heard about from the Edward Snowden disclosures, this is all stuff that was legal. And it's totally different. You'll, you'll hear many Democrats say totally different from what George W. Bush did because it was illegal when he did it, but it has been since made legal. So there's really no problem here say the Obama loyalists. Uh, That's not what the uh, legal experts seem to be saying. The uh, last paragraph of this uh, op-ed, the criminal NSA in the New York Times uh, from over the weekend, uh, reads this way. We may never know all the details of the mass surveillance programs, but we know this. The administration has justified them through abusive language, Intentional evasion of statutory protections, secret, unreviewable investigative procedures, and constitutional arguments that make a mockery of the government's professed concern with protecting Americans' privacy. It's time to call the NSA's mass surveillance programs what they are. Criminal. That's the argument in the New York Times from Jennifer Granick and Christopher Sprigman. Over the weekend, Uh, I wanted to talk to both of them. They were each of them unavailable uh, as we head into the holidays here. But I was really lucky, very happy to uh, to be able to get a hold of Mark Rumold from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF.org. The EFF has an important case related to all of this that we are also going to be talking about um, where they're trying to get. The uh, the rulings of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the ruling from 2011, which found that, in fact, these quote unquote legal programs run by the Obama administration's NSA were, in fact, 
illegal or at least unconstitutional and turned down by the secret court, rejected by the secret court. Problem is, we don't know why they were rejected. We don't know exactly what it was uh, that the court, which is usually a rubber stamp for just about everything, we don't know what, in fact, uh, the reason was that they turned it down. So we're going to be talking uh, to Mark Rummel about that uh, momentarily. Well, let's do it now. He's an attorney at uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, focusing on access to information, government secrecy, and national security issues. Mark regularly represents EFF in its Transparency Project and cases regarding the Federal Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA. As a result of his transparency work, tens of thousands of previously secret government documents have been made available to the public, but so far not that FISA court ruling. Mark Rumold, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate you joining us here. I know, uh, especially as we head into the holidays. But uh, here's what I wanted to do, Mark. Uh, as I said, there was, you know, there has been so much noise, so little signal, so much noise about uh, Snowden and Greenwald and this extraordinary uh, plane trip yesterday uh, by the Bolivian president that, you know, that he was grounded in Austria because the U.S. apparently uh, got its friends to keep them from flying over, uh, uh, what was it, France and Portugal because they thought Snowden was on board. All of this noise seems to have obscured the potential illegalities or unconstitutionalities of these programs that have been revealed by Edward Snowden. So I would love to do this with you, Mark. If we can go through these two key programs that we now know about. Uh, in uh, First, let's start with the Verizon program. Uh, or the, 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 it was a FISA court ruling that uh, allowed millions of Americans' um, phone records to be collected by the sure. NSA. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. Is that program, first with Verizon and, and the rest of the phone companies, is that program uh, illegal, uh, legal or illegal as far as you know, and at least what is the administration's justification for this program? Right. So in my opinion, you don't need to hedge about potentially illegal. Uh, there's no question in my mind that the, the Verizon program, the, the, the 215 program that essentially allows the NSA to collect uh, the call record information for millions of Americans is illegal. It, is, it violates the Constitution, the First and Fourth Amendments to the Constitution. It violates the plain terms of FISA, the, the, the law on, on which the authority is purportedly based, and it violates other federal statutes, so statutes that regulate when the government can actually have access to this type of call record information. The government basically, and you know, we don't know that, we still don't know the details of how, but somehow convinced the FISA court to allow it to do an end around a lot of statutory privacy protections for this type of information and, uh, you know, issue, issue this extraordinarily broad order um, for, for, for call records. And, it, you know, it's important to, to also note that the order isn't limited to Verizon. These orders right. exist for every major telecommunications company. Every major telecommunications company and every phone call made, essentially made 
in America, the the at least the metadata records for those you know who you called, when you called, the du- uh, the duration of it, right. uh, and so forth. Uh, so every single call in America is covered by this, and you called it the 215 program. Right. Uh, this means uh, Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Is that supposedly the legal authority for for that uh, phone program? That is. So Section 215 of the Patriot Act actually amended another part of law, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Mm -hmm. Um, The Patriot Act really expanded the authority um, that the government had to to get access to to business records. So prior to the Patriot Act, the government could get access uh, through the secret court, through the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. It could get orders for things like... uh, hotel registrations or car rental. Mm-hmm. The Patriot Act changed that. It allowed the government to get orders for any tangible thing um, that was relevant to a foreign intelligence investigation. Well, isn't this a tangible thing, the records wow. of these phone calls? What makes it... Uh, n- uh, what makes it actually illegal? Because a lot of people think, and particularly Democrats who are supporting uh, uh, the president here, they think, oh, this has all been made legal now. Right. Well, uh, you know, so I think there's there's a lot of question whether data is a tangible thing. I think data, if anything, is is probably the the epitome of an intangible thing. It's like an idea almost. Um, but so setting that, I think that's actually one of the weaker arguments mm-hmm. about uh, why the program is illegal. the The crux of it is really the relevance question, right? So the government is in effect saying that every single person's phone calls are relevant to a foreign intelligence investigation. Now, if that's the case, then essentially nothing is irrelevant, right? Right. That that basically opens up everyone's information to potential access by the government and, uh, you know, potential... um, well, and seizure. well, they're saying it's relevant because uh, we're going to track these records. We're not actually going to look at the content of the calls. We're not even going to look at the records unless we need to go back, uh, you know, down the road. We find out there's a, a terrorist incident or something. Then we can go back and look at these records. Is it, Am I essentially understanding the argument they seem to be making as to I, why right, this is I, relevant? I, I think that is, that is their argument. But if that is their argument, then there aren't really limits to the authority of the federal government to, you know, snoop around information about Americans. And, you know, that's fundamentally inconsistent with the Fourth Amendment Mm -hmm. in particular. So, I mean, there have to be some types of boundaries between what is and is not relevant to an intelligence investigation. Now, the Obama administration for a very long time has... Has, and the Bush administration before that said that they were the they were using Section 215 orders in a similar way to a grand jury subpoena, which also has a relevancy standard mm-hmm. uh, to issue it. But there is no grand jury subpoena in the history of the United States that has been as broad or as sweeping or affected you know the information of as many people as. Even this single 215 order, let alone all of them that have been issued over the course of the past you know, seven years. 
Uh, and, you know, I hate to do this because this is the second week in a row that I've actually quoted James Sensenbrenner, James Sensenbrenner uh, the Wisconsin uh, House Republican. Uh, right. Last week it was about the Voting Rights Act. This week uh, he actually said that, quote, Congress intended to allow the intelligence community to access targeted information for specific investigations. Uh, how can every call that every American makes or receives be relevant to a specific investigation, said right. Sensenbrenner. Uh, so is that what he's talking about? Or is that what we're talking about, that the law says it must be for a specific investigation and this has been taken, uh, has been understood to mean everything could be relevant so we can get everything? Is that essentially the interpretations that are now in play here? That is apparently the interpretation they're relying on. It's, I think it's important to note yeah. that James Stensenbrenner wrote the Patriot Act. <laughs> right. So he is the man who wrote the authority that the government is relying on primarily, and and he's saying this is not what I ever intended. So. And now you spoke, uh, speaking with Mark Rumold of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, Mark, you spoke about, you, you said that uh, I don't need to hedge. It's definitely illegal because it violates the Constitution. But there's a right. difference, is there not, between uh, something that is legal? In other words, if you pass a law that is later found to be unconstitutional, is it fair to say that uh, that law itself is illegal at the time before it's had a finding of unconstitutionality? Well, I th- certainly. You know, it's certainly illegal. It's illegal the entire time that it's on the books. I think what it speaks to is the liability of officials for for acting on, you know, in good faith on the law that mm-hmm. they believe to be constitutional. So when the New York Times article or op-ed mm-hmm. called for, you know, criminal sanctions or whatever, I, you know, I, I think that might be that might be a tough sell to courts, but the there's no question in my mind that the law as it's written and or at least as it's applied is being is being applied unconstitutionally. Well, let me uh I'm not sure if uh calling for criminal sanctions is uh an overreach, especially when it comes to James Clapper, the director right. of national intelligence. Let me play uh people may have heard this. This is rather remarkable. This was from last March. James Clapper being questioned by Senator Ron Wyden in a Senate hearing, the uh, Senate Select Intelligence Committee, the committee supposedly uh, which is supposed to be able to oversee these programs. Uh, here was his response, uh, James Clapper's response to Senator Wyden last March when asked uh, about this very program. What I wanted to see is if you could give me a yes or no answer to the question, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. There are cases where they could in- inadvertently, perhaps, uh, collect, but not not wittingly. All right. Uh, which is just amazing. When he says not wittingly, I guess he's referring to the sort of the incidental uh, uh, phone calls that they get when uh, somebody overseas may call into somebody in America. But in fact... Uh, this program is much, much broader than that. It is actually routinely collecting every single call, uh, or at least information on every single call made by Americans. Is it fair to say, Mark Rumold, that uh, James Clapper blatantly lied, just blatantly lied to Congress in, in that moment? 
Yes, I, and you know what I think is is paramount here is that Senator Wyden knew the answer to that question, mm-hmm. right? So James Clapper wasn't lying just to Senator Wyden. Senator Wyden wasn't asking that question for his benefit. He already knew. He's on the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's been briefed on it for years. He was asking for the benefit of the American public. So not just James Clapper didn't just lie to Senator Wyden. He lied to everyone about that. He did. And then he what you know, once the Snowden disclosures came out uh, and we've got this clip as well, uh, clip number two, G, uh, speaking with Andrea Mitchell now in June, just after the disclosures came out and they said, uh, wait a minute, uh, Mr. Clapper, it appears you lied to Congress. Here was his response to Andrea Mitchell, June one, June 10. I have great respect for Senator Wyden. I thought, though, in retrospect, I was asked, when are you going to start stop beating your wife kind of question, which is meaning not um, answerable necessarily by a simple yes or no. So I responded in what I thought was the most truthful or least untruthful manner by saying no. <laughs> Does that hold up in a court of law? Uh, you're an attorney, Mark. Uh, the most uh, truthful, the least untruthful answer? No, I don't think it would hold up in in any court of law. I think a jury would see straight through that, um, and I, I hope the American public does too. And to to James to Clapper's credit, it is difficult to talk about you know stuff that is classified in public hearings, and uh, that well that's a problem first of all about overclassification because there's a tremendous amount of that involved with these programs. Mm-hmm. But second of all, he didn't have to. He didn't have to respond yes or no. He could have said, Senator, you know I can't answer that in public. I'm happy to give you a uh, a description and a classified briefing. And Let- he didn't. He, he just said flat out no. That's right. He didn't. He lied, and it seems to be there's no accountability because yesterday he apologized for giving that answer. And I guess if you apologize for lying to Congress, which is illegal, uh, I guess you can apologize and everything's fine. Let's right. move on. Let's move on to this uh, to the Prism program. And again, uh, this is uh, I want to hit these uh, these two programs specifically because what I've heard from a lot of people who are sort of apologizing uh, for the Obama administration here that oh, there's nothing new. We knew about all of these programs. Well, we did not know that every American was having their, uh, their their phone records collected. And as far as I can tell, we did not know that there was this program uh, called PRISM that essentially allows the NSA, I know there's been a lot of debate about whether they have direct access or not to this information, but it appears that the NSA can pretty much put a search term in a box and get information back from Facebook and Google and uh, Microsoft, uh, Skype, uh, uh, about pretty much anyone or anybody they like without having to get a warrant for each event, they essentially get a big warrant that allows them to do this for uh, 90 days or a year or whatever it is for anybody they want. I, am I correctly describing that program, Mark? Yeah, it's so it, the the program itself is 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 extraordinarily broad. The the authority. Um, that the government has under it. Uh, it, it might help to, to kind of back up and explain, you know, where, where the law came from mm-hmm. and how it operates. So uh, traditionally, in, with, with FISA, 
the government could go to the secret court and apply for an application to wiretap an individual, mm-hmm. right? And they'd provide probable cause that this individual was involved in, you know, foreign intelligence. They were an agent of a foreign power. Mm-hmm. Or they were involved in terrorism in some way. The FISA Amendments Act really, it created a, a separate type of surveillance that that can that the government can do. And that's basically, it's, it's what you mentioned. The government can basically get a blank check from the surveillance court. They say, here are the procedures we're going to use to decide who to target. Here are the procedures we're going to use to make, to try to eliminate uh, Americans' conversations getting swept up into our targeting. But otherwise, uh, the court has no ability to review the individual targeting decisions the government makes. And all the court can do is sign off on those targeting procedures, so the general procedures for deciding who to target and the general procedures for uh, trying to limit the exposure of, of Americans. And then the government basically has a, a blank check to go to the Internet companies, to, to phone providers, and say, hey, this is the person we're interested in in uh, collecting information about, and they, they, so long as, and you know, the law specifically requires that the person be overseas, um, that the person not be a United States mm-hmm. citizen or, or uh, legal resident. Right. But from everything that we've seen so far, um, the government is first of all, still collecting a tremendous amount of information about Americans through this program. And second of all, they're, they're, whenever there is doubt, whenever there's doubt about who they're targeting, uh, about where they are, mm-hmm. or whether they're a citizen, the government resolves that doubt in favor of them being overseas and in favor of them not being a citizen. Yeah, apparently so all they collect anyway. Yeah, apparently all they need is a 51% uh, probability which uh, John Oliver last week on the the Daily Show described as basically a uh, a coin flip plus 1%. Right. That's all they need to determine that uh, oh this is a foreign person he's not on US soil etc. Uh, now the legal justification for this program for the prison program Mark Rumold is apparently again the FISA Amendments Act of 2008 section 1881A which is more commonly referred to as section 702. Do I have that correct? That's all right. Yep. Uh, okay. That was that was yeah. just what I was describing to you. It's Right. You know, the the blank check, basically, that uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court gives to the government. Okay, now here's my question. Uh, this, uh, President Obama has said this is legal, it's justified by that, uh, the FISA Amendment Act of, of uh, 2008, that was passed in July 2008. Um when we looked at these PRISM documents that was re- that were released by uh, Edward Snowden, it shows a number of companies, I think about eight or nine companies, that are working with the, uh, with the government in this PRISM program. The first one is Microsoft. Microsoft apparently joined this program, according to these slides, in 2007. So if Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act that was passed in 2008 is the legal justification for this. How do we explain the fact that Microsoft was a part of this program a year earlier? Yeah, well, so there, there are a couple explanations. The first of which is Microsoft joined up 
uh, without having a really good legal justification for the program. That's entirely possible. Um, you know, the government, uh, the Bush administration from uh-huh. 2001 to 2006 basically was running this exact program, only they were, they were running the program on, under the theory that the executive branch has the inherent constitutional authority to do this type of surveillance. But, but doesn't this mean that it was at least run for that year illegally and that someone ought to be held accountable for that well, illegal so, program? There's no question in my mind that that inherent executive authority uh, argument is, is, you know, holds no water. But in 2007, there was a predecessor to the FISA Amendments Act. There was, it was a law called the Protect America Act. And it was only in place for one year, from 2007 to 2008. And presumably, that's, that was the law that Microsoft believed, uh, you know, allowed them to, to, to join to join the program. Well, I'm you know I'm not even worried about uh, the company. I'm not worried about Microsoft as much as you know because they were pretty much uh, you know heavy-handed by the uh, by the government to do what sure. they wanted. Uh, but uh, you know the notion that this Prism program is perfectly legal when we know that it appears to have existed a year before the justification that or the authorization that the Obama administration is citing for this program. Right. I, yeah, go ahead. Well, so the Protect America Act was was pretty similar to the FISA Amendments Act. Okay, so, you know, I I think uh, what what I what I do think is a problem is that Microsoft just took the orders from the government without challenging them. Yeah, we now know that Yahoo uh, challenged the constitutionality of the Protect America Act in the secret surveillance court in uh, two thousand and seven, I believe. And the the FISC upheld it, but there are a lot of problems with with uh, the FISC upholding the decision. And you know, the the government in in regular p- federal court has has done everything within its means. EFF has been suing the government since 2008 to stop this program. Right. And the government has used every tool in its le- in its belt to 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 stop our lawsuit from going forward from having a judge decide on the merits the constitutionality of the program. And, and let's talk about the constitutionality of that program and your case specifically. I'm speaking with Mark Rimmold of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman on KPFK. Uh, we have just a, a couple of minutes left here. Uh, Mark, I want to ask you about this statement from the president, and uh, this will, I'm sure, lead us into your, uh, your case against the Foreign Intelligence surveillance court and your attempt to get at these uh, that these uh, secret findings that the prison pro- or at least that some program or another was either illegal or unconstitutional here is president obama speaking to charlie rose just after after the disclosure uh, at least the first wave of disclosure of documents from nsa contractor edward snowden the fbi if in fact it now wants to get content if, in fact, it wants to start tapping that phone, it's got to go to the FISA court with probable cause and ask for a warrant. But so, has FISA courts turned down any request? They, because, the first of all, Charlie, the, the number of requests are surprisingly small, okay. number one. <laughs> number two, folks don't go with a query unless they've got 
a pretty good suspicion. Should this be transparent in some way? It is transparent. That's why we set up the FISA court. I think that noise you heard was uh, Mark uh, Rumold's head falling off at yeah. that response. Uh, surpri- first, surprisingly small number of requests to the FISA court, DeMarc? That's false. There are, <laughs> you know, in, the, in terms of just regular wiretap applications, there are thousands made every year. In terms of these uh, FISA Amendments Act directives, we, we don't even know. And the, the FISA court has no oversight over that whatsoever. So, I mean... There's there's very little that's true about what President Obama said. Uh, yeah, and especially when it comes to this transparency, uh, the transparency is, of course, a secret court that no one can find out what their rulings are. And I know that you, Mark, have been uh, leading this case uh, on behalf of the Electronic Frontier Foundation to get at their ruling from 2011, wherein the FISA court finally found something that they could reject, something that they felt was either illegal or unconstitutional, and you have been trying to get at their ruling in that particular case, correct? That's that's right. You know, I I mentioned before, the FISA court, under the FISA Amendments Act, doesn't have a lot of authority. They don't have the authority to really review the individual decisions that the executive branch is making. But so... Uh, whatever this decision was, was uh, it was basically the FISA court saying, regardless of the individual decisions that you're making to target people, the, pro- the process that you're using is violating the Fourth Amendment, and it's also violating the spirit of federal law, presumably the FISA Amendments Act. We don't know the ways in particular that it was violating the act. We don't know the ways that it was violating the Fourth Amendment. And so we've been fighting to get access to this. And, uh, you know, we, the FISA Amendments Act was up for reauthorization last fall. We mm-hmm. tried to get access to the opinion for that debate, and the government pushed it off, pushed it off until after the law had been signed. And four days after the law had been signed, they released to us uh, documents but they were entirely redacted. And now, and now in the midst of you know, this debate that's unfolding, um, you know, it's probably the most robust public debate on surveillance practices in the U.S. since uh, the 1970s. The government's trying to delay that case from going forward, our case from going forward again. They're trying to push it off for months. So we weren't able. So when they when they reauthorized uh, this law last year, mm-hmm. we weren't able to know what this finding was. That might have informed uh, us, the citizenry, a, as right. to whether we wanted this reauthorized or how it should be reauthorized. They put that off. Now we have uh, recently, I guess, in the last week or two, the FISA court itself has said, "Yeah, it's fine. You can go ahead and release our our right. uh, ruling." Correct. Right. The FISA court. So the, the government basically said, we, the, the government, the executive branch mm-hmm. basically said, we'd, we'd love to release the opinion, but it's, we can't because of what the FISA court's telling us. And, you know, EFF, we, we knew that that argument was crazy. So right. we went straight to the FISA court. We said, this is the argument they're making. Uh, we, we want access to this opinion. And the FISA court, it took us longer to figure out how to actually physically file something with the FISA court. With the secret did, court. Right, yes. than it did for the FISA court to take a look at the government's arguments and reject them. You know, so the, the, the court said very clearly, um, uh, it's, not, it's not us holding this back, it's the executive branch. It's, 
the the burden is purely on the executive branch to release this. So the executive, the executive branch wants to push it off for months. Well, the executive branch said we'd love to release it, but we can't because of the FISA court. The FISA court has now said, oh, no, it's fine with us. Go ahead and release it. Yep. So therefore, uh, that was about two weeks ago. Therefore, the executive branch has now finally released this document you've been trying to get at for a year, correct? No, absolutely <laughs> not. They, they still refuse to release it. Uh, and in fact, they asked a court to delay even considering releasing it until September. Why? Why September? Why? I, they said there is an interagency process going on where they are considering what they can release. Unbelievable. Well, we're going to follow uh, this case as it moves forward. I think that uh, there is a, uh, let's see, a, a, a here, uh, you, you're asking them to make a final determination by July 12th in, in a couple of That's weeks right. on, on whether they're going to release this or not. Uh, right. The government is fighting for September for some odd reason, and uh, they have said that if the court needs any help, they'll be happy to meet with them in private uh, to discuss why. Do I understand that correctly? This That's footnote? Right. Not only could they not tell us yeah. why they need until September, uh, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't even do it publicly. They couldn't do it on the record. They could only file something uh, secret with the court to explain why they need it until September. Right. Your, your report, uh, which I read, was about eight or nine pages explaining why this should be released. Uh, the government's position was about three paragraphs, including a footnote, which says, should the court find it helpful, the government is prepared to submit an ex parte, in-camera declaration in further support for its request for a 60-day extension of the stay. Ex parte, in-camera means what, Mark? It means filed only with the court. The opposing party can't can't have access to it. It's precisely the type of procedure that, uh, you know, leads to these types of ridiculous Verizon orders that you see. It, it, you know, it's the lack of an adversarial process in these types of decisions that, that uh, you know, makes this distorted law in the first place. And, and they're asking the court to to let them continue doing it in this case. Unbelievable. I mean, if nothing else, even for those who are in favor of these sorts of programs, the I, I just want people to understand how overclassified everything in this country has become. And uh, the state secrets privilege that is used and abused by uh, presidential administrations, these sorts of filings that, oh, we'll be happy to meet with you in secret to tell you why. Uh, it, it's just amazing. Yes, uh, Edward Snowden did release things that we did not know about. And yes, it seems pretty clear that at least some or part or all of them are either illegal or unconstitutional. Mark Rummold, I really appreciate uh, your help on this and your work on this on behalf of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. People can get more at EFF.org. They can uh, follow you guys on Twitter at EFF and really appreciate you joining the broadcast here uh, on uh, on the eve of a holiday. Thank you, sir. Right. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, brother. Bye. Don't talk about the weather. Shh. It's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. Shh. That's the safest way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. If you
All right, when we come back, uh, much more of your broadcast straight ahead, including Desi Doyen and the Green News Report as the heat wave begins to lift out here in the West. Another thought or two on the Voting Rights Act decision by the Supreme Court last week. And speaking of secrets, even your free trade agreements are now secret. Much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. If you can keep a secret. Find yourself at the Ford this summer. Enjoy an eclectic season of music, dance, theater, film, and family events from cultures near and far. From hip-hop to folklorico to ballet, Broadway to rock to jazz. Magical summer evenings under the stars and the best local artists. Discover genuine L.A. June through October at the Ford Theaters off the 101 freeway in the Hollywood Hills. Ticket information is available at the Ford box office, 323-GO-1-FORD. More details at the KPFK website, kpfk.org. KPFK is a proud media sponsor. Donating your car or boat is an excellent way to help KPFK stay alive and on air. All you have to do is call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO, and we'll take care of everything. No, really, it's that simple. Standing up at the gates of hell right here at KPFK. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Uh, we have uh, a bit of breaking news here concerning the, uh, the the coup. Can we call it a coup, Desi Doyen? Well, I don't think we can call it officially a coup uh, uh, right now. I Not as far as legal State Department terms go. Yeah, uh, well, I don't work for them, so I think this is a military coup in Egypt. Uh, President uh, Mohamed Morsi has, of course, been removed from power, as we, we reported at the top of the hour. Uh, but you have some uh, additional uh, news uh, headlines for yeah, us? Yeah, just a, a really quick. The uh, Associated Press reports that Morsi's aide tells them that Morsi has been moved to an undisclosed location. They also report that Egyptian military leaders have assured the Obama administration that they are not interested in long-term rule following their uh, coup, I guess you can say, of Mohamed Morsi and have appointed a government of civilian technocrats to temporarily run the country. And this is from American officials who are speaking anonymously. And apparently this statement is very important. Secret, be- uh, speaking secretly, they wouldn't go on the record? Well, because they're not Americans? authorized to speak on I these see. subjects. Okay. But yes, they. Uh, the statement is apparently it's important for the military leaders to say that we have appointed civilian people. This is going to end very quickly. We're going to hold Democrat elections. Democratic elections very quickly, because if it's called a coup, then the U.S. is forced by law to suspend its $1.5 billion in assistance to the military in Egypt. Just a couple of other things. Al Jazeera, you know, their live Egyptian service was raided by security forces and forcibly taken off the air. That's according to an update from Al Jazeera English that was posted on Al Jazeera English's website. Do we Uh, know who who forced them off the air? Was it the, uh, the military or the... Uh, Morsi regime? 
Don't know that yet. Al Jazeera correspondents told Al Jazeera English that the raid occurred while a live broadcast was in progress and that the <laughs> presenter, guests, and producers of Al Jazeera were arrested. And finally, here in the United States, CNN reassured its viewers that live coverage of the George Zimmerman trial will be right back after they had uh, had to sit through, I guess, these horrible broadcast of Cairo erupting. So they said, oh, don't worry, we'll have George Zimmerman soon. So really. nobody has arrested CNN and taken them off the air during their no, live broadcast yet. Oh, well, disappointing. Thank you for that update, Desi Doyen. Stand by for the green news in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, we'll be, uh, she'll be uh, joining us again. Uh, I, I hope that uh, folks were able to understand uh, what we were discussing in that first hour and, uh, you know, the notion that these programs that have been uh, disclosed by Edward Snowden that, no, in fact, they do not appear to be illegal. They do not appear to be constitutional. Uh, I have been in uh, some amusing uh, Twitter fights over the last 24 hours or so. By the way, you can tweet me at the Brad blog. Um, concerning these programs from some of these Obama loyalists, I think it's fair to call uh, this one in particular an, an Obama bot. I don't want to uh, give him any more followers, but he has. Uh, he, yesterday, he was telling me I was a, a, a Marxist and an anarchist and a libertarian, which uh, which is somewhat confusing because we've our our, our uh, Marxist libertarian meetings have been surprisingly. Uh, Poorly attended over the past week at uh, bradblog.com. And someone, uh, Bill Mon, actually said on uh, Twitter uh, when I was joking about Marxist libertarianism, he said the, uh, the slogan should be, quote, from each according to their abilities to each according to whatever they can grab. That sounds that sounds about right. Uh, anyway, uh, the secrecy continues, and it continues in regard to this massive Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, so-called TPP Agreement, which you're hearing very little coverage about, if any, uh, in the media, in the mainstream corporate media, despite the fact that uh, Congressman Alan Grayson wrote in a recent email to supporters, he said, quote, the TPP is nicknamed NAFTA. NAFTA on steroids. Now that I've read it, he said, I can see why. He was not even allowed to read it until some 10,000 people complained and he was allowed to, uh, to, to read this document uh, without any staff, without being allowed to take notes. Um, this entire trade agreement is being negotiated in secret except for the hundreds of uh, corporate uh, representatives, trade representatives from uh, corporations across this country who have been able to take part in this. But we, the people, we cannot see it. Grayson says, uh, he said after reviewing part of the new agreement that, quote, there is no national security purpose in keeping this text secret. This agreement hands the sovereignty of our country over to corporate interests. And uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, when she was told that she could not um, uh, see these uh, these documents that were being negotiated on our behalf. She said, quote, if transparency would lead to widespread public opposition to a trade agreement, then that trade agreement should not be the policy of the United States. Yes, that sounds about right. Essentially, this uh, TPP is to set up 
these arbitration panels that override uh, U.S. law and international law uh, on behalf of the corporations. Read more about it in uh, Ernest Canning's piece this week at bradblog.com. This is something that we should be talking a lot more about. We are not talking about it nearly enough because we live in a nation of secrets. One more thought here before we get to Desi Doyen on the uh, on the Voting Rights Act. I wanted to go into this in detail because I can't beat up on uh, Justice Antonin Scalia enough, frankly. But uh, last week on the broadcast, uh, the Prop 8 decisions and the DOMA decisions were just uh, coming down from the Supreme Court, so I wasn't able to get into this aspect of it. But uh, it was remarkable. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court gutted the 48-year-old Voting Rights Act, even though it had been reauthorized in as recently as 2006 for 25 years by a vote of 98 to nothing in the Senate. That, after months of hearings by Republican House, a Republican Senate, 15,000 pages of documents speaking to the necessity of this law, this law that was passed uh, because the 15th Amendment of the Constitution tells Congress that it is their job to enforce this law. Finally, Congress did its job in a big way, in a big, big way uh, in 2006, passed the law uh, after all of these hearings, passed it unanimously in the Senate. It was signed by George W. Bush and the voting and the uh, Supreme Court decided they were allowed to gut it, that they, just in a massive uh, act of judicial overreach, they just killed it. No matter what the Congress did, no matter the fact that the Constitution says the Congress should do it. That was Tuesday. On Wednesday... You had the right-wingers, the Republicans on the Supreme Court, say that it was an outrage, an outrage that uh, the uh, DOMA would be found unconstitutional, the Defense of Marriage Act, because, after all, the Congress of the United States had passed this law, had duly passed this into law. That's what uh, the, the, the United States Congress wants, and how dare the Supreme Court said the right-wing majority. How dare the Supreme Court gut this law that was passed by the Congress? That was Wednesday. On Tuesday, the hell with Congress, the hell with the Constitution, let's throw it all out. The very same people making one argument on Tuesday can't even remember the argument they made on Wednesday. Talk about hypocrisy. It's just unbelievable that these right-wingers, when they look at Antonin Scalia and they say, well, you know, we may disagree with him, but he's a great legal mind. No, he's not a great legal mind. He's a great political mind, and he's a great hypocrite, period, and he's a disgrace to this nation. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. That cheer you up, Des? <laughs> what are you Some laughing about? Wow, that was quite a little rant you had there. Yeah, well, I've had it with him. And, and we'll be talking about it in the weeks ahead as far as, you know, how how dangerous and how horrible gutting the Voting Rights Act uh, has been even so far when these uh, right with these Republican uh, uh, states have run out and <laughs> just said, oh, well, what? We can discriminate now? Let's pass all of these laws that have been found to be discriminatory. And that's exactly what they're doing. Can we talk about green news now? 
Because will it cheer me up? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. All right. Well, we'll okay. Well, we'll get back. I suspect we will be getting back to that in the weeks ahead. So you want to do some? Uh, yes, please. Uh, that's by the way, that's Desi Doyen, my co-host and the producer of this show. And all right, let's do some green news. Between global warming, homes now being built on the edge of wilderness areas, I think we ask a lot of uh, our firefighters. Wildfire season turns tragic as 19 firefighters killed in Arizona. Record heat wave, one of the worst in American history. L.A. bets on solar. The Koch brothers' sneaky no-climate-tax pledge. Plus... This is the fight America can and will lead in the 21st century. But it'll require all of us as citizens to do our part. President Obama keeps up the climate change pressure. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The question is not whether we need to act. The question is whether we will have the courage to act before it's too late. And the answer is no. Too cynical? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, our friend Brad Johnson from ForecastTheFacts.org points out today that the New York Times has broken their climate silence in the wake of the tragic wildfire in Prescott, Arizona. He points us to a story headlined, quote, Elite firefighters lost in deadly new normal. A tinderbox west. Yes, good to see the so-called paper of record finally letting their readers know that there is a climate change influence in the increase in wildfires that we're seeing. Those 19 firefighters were tragically killed on Sunday when their position was overtaken suddenly by the fast-moving Yarnell Hill fire near Prescott in central Arizona. It is now one of the deadliest wildfire disasters in U.S. history. The fire is still raging out of control and has already destroyed over 200 homes. A new report shows that massive wildfires are indeed becoming more frequent in Arizona. Since 1970, Arizona has warmed at a rate of nearly one degree per decade. That's the fastest warming among all 50 states, according to climatecentral.org. Experts are calling this the new normal of a hotter, drier West. And yes, climate change is exacerbating the conditions that make these out-of-control wildfires and extreme heat waves more frequent and more deadly. The U.S. Forest Service says that fire season is now two months longer than it was just a few decades ago. Former elite firefighter Tim Wendell tells USA Today that we need to rethink how we fight these fires. I think it's kind of too dangerous. I think between global warming, homes now being built on the edge of wilderness areas. I think we ask a lot of uh, our firefighters these days, and it keeps going up and up. And the record heat wave made this fire more intense. Dr. Jeff Masters of Weather Underground calls this past weekend's record-breaking heat wave, quote, one of the greatest heat waves in North American history. It broke many all-time local temperature records, but it did not break the world record for highest temperature ever recorded on Earth ever. But Death Valley on Sunday did break the world record for hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth for the month of June. And what was that uh, world record uh, June temperature? 129 degrees. 129 degrees. I saw someone quoted who lived there who said 110 degrees this time of year is is kind of normal, but 130 degrees, now we're starting to get a little ridiculous. Interestingly, in the last few years, Texas has suffered blackouts when excessive heat waves caused their electric grid equipment to malfunction. But in California, more solar generating capacity has helped the state have zero blackouts, even in this historic heat wave, even with both of California's privately owned nuclear power plants 
offline. Solar power is growing faster in California than anywhere else in the country. Los Angeles just became the first major U.S. city to capitalize on its miles of empty, unused rooftops with a new rooftop solar incentive program that will pay building owners a guaranteed rate for the solar energy they generate. Nice. Yes, the same mechanism has been wildly successful in Germany. Oh, in Germany. Well, as... As Fox News tells us, they get way more sun than we do here in Southern California, apparently. Which is totally not true. On his trip to Africa, President Obama announced major initiatives to combat wildlife trafficking and bring clean electricity to sub-Saharan Africa. At home, in his Saturday address, he kept up the pressure to act on climate. I need you to act. Educate your classmates and colleagues, your family and friends. Remind everyone who represents you at every level of government that there's no contradiction between a sound environment and a strong economy, and that sheltering future generations against the ravages of climate change is a prerequisite for your vote. But the Koch brothers are doing their damnedest to make sure that nothing changes. A new two-year study by the Investigative Reporting Workshop at American University reveals that the billionaire Koch brothers used their nonprofit front group, Americans for Prosperity, to get congressional lawmakers to quietly sign a little-known no-climate-tax pledge. It's similar to Grover Norquist's anti-tax pledge. The report says the no-climate-tax pledge helped kill federal cap-and-trade legislation in 2009. Really? Do we know how many lawmakers have signed this pledge? Nearly 100. Mostly Republicans, but a few Democrats. Lovely. For more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download us anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. We'll be taking a day or two off for the 4th of July holiday. Hope you and yours have a good and safe one. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. What a way to save our souls this endless summer. Endless summer. Indeed. Not exactly what that country star is hoping for when he's singing that song. Probably not what he's referring to. But just real quick, that same weather pattern that caused the heat wave to sort of park over Mm -hmm. the southwest also brought uh, heavy rain to New Hampshire. The New Hampshire governor has just declared a state of emergency because one locale actually received two inches of rain in 45 minutes. And the billion-dollar disasters continue. Unbelievable. Uh, Thank you very much, Des. Uh, We will, of course, uh, pick that up. Well, no, we're we're not doing any more green news this week. We're off for the holidays. We need one. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and, of course, to G, our splendid soundboard operator. Also to Mark Rumold from Electronic Frontier Foundation. Stay tuned for John Wiener. He's going to have, oh, this is good, Mark Levine of Al Jazeera English on whatever the hell is going on in Egypt. Now that uh, Al Jazeera has been shut down in Egypt, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, We will, however, be back. Same Brad time, same Brad channel next week right here. Hope you'll be able to join us. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and at BradBlog.com. Good night. And happy 4th of July, America.